Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihil kareem amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. Continuing with Asad, Formations of the Secular. We are on page 16, section 4 of the introduction. All right, whoever's there. It is a major premise of this study that the secular is conceptually prior to the political doctrine of secularism. That over over time, a variety of concepts, practices, and sensibilities have come together to form the secular. In the chapters that follow, I therefore begin with the partial genealogy of that concept, an effort aimed at questioning its self-evident character while asserting at the same time that it never, nevertheless marks something real. Okay. So, I mean, so now this whole, this whole section is just going to be how he's organized the book. And the first, the key point here is that there is, uh, there, he is going to critique this idea that what is secular is plain and simple, obvious to everyone. They say no. Nevertheless, it is something real. My resort to geneal- genealogy obviously derives from ways it has been deployed by Foucault and Nietzsche, although it does not claim to follow them religiously. Mm-hmm. Genealogy is not intended here as a substitute for social history, real history as many would put it, but as a way of working back from our present to the contingencies that have come together to give us our certainties. Okay, so what are we saying here? When we're looking at the genealogy of an idea, we're saying, okay, here's where we are in 2017. And what were the key impulses that brought us to here? Okay, so like think, for example, of the, of the Khilafah movement, where it is today, okay? Uh, there would be, aside from conspiracy theories and everything, okay, there would be no ISIS if there wasn't a Khilafah movement, okay? And the Khilafah movement, you can trace back to two things. Number one, the establishment of nation-states, okay, which is also when you see the rise of Zionism, mm. as well as the, uh, the, the sense of, of an absence of a Muslim power. Okay. And you can also add a third thing, which is this transformation of the Sufis from social activists to people who basically are focused only on, on spiritual growth. Mm. Okay, so meaning uh, a shift of Sufis away from the, the public square, except in ornamentation. Okay, and so then that can get traced back to colonialism, right? So we're saying ISIS, it can trace itself back to colonization as, a, as um, another phase in the blowback against colonization, mm-hmm. right? Think of all those things as taking place piece by piece. So he's looking at the genealogy of that which we call secular and secularism. But precisely for this reason, because the secular is so much part of our modern life, it is not easy to grasp directly. I think it is best pursued through its shadows, as it were. That is why in the first chapter I pay special attention to the notion of myth, central to the modern idea of enchantment, in some of its historical guises. And then in chapters 2 and 3, I discuss agency, pain, and cruelty in relation to embodiment. So you understand what embodiment is here, right? This is when you are literally embodying the ideas. Mm-hmm. Like we've talked about informational knowledge versus transformational knowledge. Mm-hmm. So informational knowledge is you're just acquiring it, and that's that. Transformational knowledge is that you're embodying it, and it changes you. Informational knowledge also does that too. It's impossible for you not to embody knowledge. The only difference is that with um, embodied knowledge, you're consciously trying to practice it. 
From these explorations of the secular, I moved to aspects of secularism, the concepts of the hu human that underline subjective rights, chapter 4, the notion of religious minorities in Europe, chapter 5, and the question of whether nationalism is essentially secular or religious, mm -hmm. chapter 6. In the final chapter, I deal at some length with the transformations in religious authority, law, and ethics in colonial Egypt that illuminate aspects of secularization not usually attended to. Mm -hmm. okay. Finally, can anthropology as such contribute anything to the clarification of questions about secularism? So, secularism is usually discussed either in philosophy or sociology, and to less degree, to some degree, political science. This is... Uh, for him to discuss in anthropology is also something very, very interesting. Okay, continue. Most anthropolo anthropologists are taught that their discipline is essentially defined by a research technique, participant observation, carried out in a circumscribed field, and that as such it deals with particularly with particularity. what with particularity with what Clifford Gertz, following the philosopher Gilbert Ryle, called thick description. So what this basically means is, okay, so Clifford Geertz was what was this sort of anthropologist. He died probably about like, I don't know, like eight, ten years ago. And he has this idea called thick description, which is, um, okay, in anthropology, you're looking literally uh, at every single detail you can watching how somebody does something. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for example, you would study, okay, um, in Devon Avenue, dinner practices and so you're looking at everything that's part of that how does the person who's cooking often the mom how how will she dress mm -hmm. right you know how are the seats arranged when do people show up how does she bring them in all that things okay and particularity means you're looking at this example of this very specific situation sociology is you're trying to see patterns across different societies right so um, Devon Avenue, along with Jackson Heights in New York, along with whatever the equivalent is in Houston, along with whatever the equivalent is in, in L.A., how do Indians and Pakistanis organize themselves in their local markets, mm. right? And, and so thick description is you're just putting in all the details you can find. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> and isn't secularism a universal concept? applicable throughout the modern world, capable at once of explaining and moderating the volatility of cultural multiplicities. Of volatility. Volatility of cultural multiplicities. So, volatility of cultural multi multiplicities. So, let's uh, put this step by step. Multiplicity, as you can gather, is many. Cultural multiplicity will be you have all these different uh, components coming from different sources together, right? Volatility means how quickly does it change? It's not stable. Okay. And so, does secularism moderate it? Does it stabilize it? Mm. Okay. Okay. And st don't assume stability is a good thing. We're basically saying the stability, does it keep it from changing too much? And a way to think about this, now that's not a good example. Okay, continue. In my view, anthropology is more than a method, and it should not be equated, as it has popularly become, with the direction given uh, to inquiry by the pseudoscientific notion of fieldwork. Mary Douglas once proposed that although conventional accounts of the rise of modern anthropology located in the shift from armchair theorizing to intensive fieldwork with invocations of... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The real story was very different. The account of modern anthropology that she favors begins with 
Marcel Mauss, yeah. pioneer of the system, uh, systemic inquiry into the cultural concepts. Yes, yeah, skip the parenthetical. Douglas herself has been distinguished, uh, has been a distinguished contributor to this tradition of anthropology. But the but conceptual analysis as such is old as philosophy. It's as old as philosophy. So basically, he's just talking about the different schools of anthropology. That's, I mean, for our purposes, that's, that's the bottom line. What is distinctive about modern anthropology is the comparison of embedded concepts, represent, representations, between societies differently located in time or space. The important thing in this comparative analysis is not their origin, Western or non-Western, but the forms of life that articulate them, the powers they release or disable. Secularism, like religion, is such a concept. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's, again, uh, a really, really key point. Like, trying to look not so much as, you know, what is the origin of secularism, but how does it, how does it exist? Okay. An anthropology of secularism should thus start with the curiosity about the doctrine and practice of secularism, regardless of where they have, where they have originated. And it would ask... How do the attitudes to the human body, to pain, physical damage, decay, and death, to physical integrity, bodily growth, and sexual enjoyment, differ in various forms of life? Mm-hmm. What structures of the senses, hearing, seeing, touching, do these attitudes depend on? In what ways does the law define and regulate <coughs> practices and doctrines on the grounds that they are truly human? What discursive spaces does this work of definition and regulation open up for gr- grammars of secular and the religious. How do all these sensibilities, attitudes, assumptions, and behaviors come together to support or undermine the doctrine of secularism? Mm. Trying to formalize such questions in detail is a more important task for anthropology than hasty pronouncements about the virtues and vices of secularism. Okay, yeah, so that last point. Trying to figure out how do we even explore this, and anthropology focuses on the human being and the different aspects of the human being, and so how does secularism play out in the being of being? Okay, um, let's see. This next section is pretty long. Uh, you want to do it anyway? You want to get chapter one? Okay, so chapter one. What might an anthropology of secularism look like? Whichever one of you wants to read. Okay, Sociologists, political theorists, and historians have written copiously on secularism. It is part of a vigorous public debate in many parts of the world, especially the Middle East. Is secularism a colonial imposition, an entire worldview that gives precedence to the material over the spiritual, a modern culture of alienation and unrestrained pleasure? Okay, so these are three different ways to read that which is secularism. One is just another tool of colonialism to impose upon subjugated societies, right? Another is basically getting rid of the spiritual, okay? And then another is essentially just the search for pleasure and then the consequent alienation. Alienation here means us separating ourselves from each other, from everything. Individualism. What were we saying yesterday about the spiritual? It's like a modern... Uh... So the idea of just using the term spirituality is very, very recent, very contemporary, mm-hmm. right? This term spirituality. When I was a kid, this was not a commonly used term. Um, when I was in college, this was not a commonly used term. Mm-hmm. It came later, right? And 
you can say it reflects the desire for something more than the material, right? But no one really defines what is spiritual, and that's why usually they're talking about something emotional or something else like that. I got it. Or is it necessary to universal humanism, a rational principle that calls for the suppression, or at any rate, the restraint of religious passion, so that a dangerous source of intolerance and delusion can be controlled and political unity, peace, and progress secured. Okay, so this is how uh, secularism is often framed by its supporters. It's rational, okay, and calls for the restraint, if not suppression, of all of this intolerant passion that comes from religion, this delusion that comes from religion, so that you can have political unity, peace, progress, etc. Uh, with whom was it? Okay, I was having this. Uh, I was speaking to a Bosnian student who was speaking about life. Uh, what's the name? Tahito, uh, um, who was speaking uh, of the ruler of Bosnia in the decades before you know the ethnic cleansing, and and from the outside it was a dictator, but from the inside it was a person who was keeping the peace among all these different religious factions. Oh, the Yugoslav guy? Yeah. And so, so the point being that he... Uh, um, so secularism, uh, from its sympathetic side, is often looked at as a way to keep the peace. Okay. The question of how secularism as a political doctrine is related to the secular as an ontology and epistemology is evidently at stake here. Okay, so, so these terms, ontology, would be like the state of being. Epistemology would be what is the knowledge and language that we use to talk about it. Yeah. Okay. In contrast to the salience of such debates, anthropologists have paid scarcely any attention to the idea of the secular. Although the study of religion has been a central concern of the discipline since the 19th century, a collection of university and college syllabi on the anthropology of religion prepared recently for the Anthropo Anthropological Association of America, shows a heavy reliance on such themes as myth, magic, witchcraft, the use of hallucinogens, ritual as psychotherapy, possession, and taboo. Together, these familiar themes suggest that religion, whose object is the sacred, stands in the, dominion of, in the domain of the non-rational. So see what we're saying? In the common way, religion itself is studied. The secular is rational and the religion is non-rational. Not the same as irrational, but just outside rational. Mm -hmm. yeah. The secular, where modern politics and science are cited, makes no appearance in the collection. Nor is it <clears throat> treated in any of the well-known introductory texts. And yet, it is common knowledge that religion and the secular are closely linked, both in our thought and in the way they have emerged historically. Any discipline that seeks to understand religion must also try to understand its other. Mm -hmm. Anthropology in particular, the discipline that has sought to understand the strangeness of the non-European world, also needs to grasp more fully what is implied in, in its being at once modern and secular. Okay, so a lot of this is a question of categories that we mentioned before. How are people, uh, how are scholars uh, categorizing themselves or categorizing that which they are studying? and then what is the language that is being used. So a lot of this is going to seem like dry introductory material, but it's good for us to get a sense of how these academic processes, processes work. Okay, keep going. A number of anthropologists have begun to address secularism with the intention of 
demystifying contemporary political institutions. Where previous theorists saw worldly reason linked to tolerance, these unmaskers find myth and violence. Thus, Michael Tausing complains that the Weberian yeah. notion of the rational legal state's monopoly of its violence fails to ad address the intrinsically mysterious, mystifying, convoluting, plain, scary, mythical, and arcane cultural properties and power of violence to the point where violence is very much an end in itself, a sign, as Benjamin put it, of the existence of the gods. Okay, so what are we saying here? So Max Weber is a sociologist. He's sort of like one of the, mo the fathers of modern sociology. And he speaks of the state as this rational construction. So think of uh, the American exercise, the American government, as a rational state. Okay? Okay, and you're rolling your eyes, but... No, 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 no. I'm smiling at Adnan. Adnan's going to be really excited about the construction of the American Oh, okay, okay, okay. Don't speak so, for me, thanks. So, anyway, so... So, and then it has this monopoly on violence, or the monopoly on coercion, okay? But then you have this problem of trying to figure out what is religion. Okay. Because religion still manages to figure out how to stay present no matter what changes take place in society, right? Islam, Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, and then the other more recent religions, um, somehow they still manage to stick around. Okay. And that's one of the big question marks, like, what is it truly, and then why does it keep persisting? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So here, look at the words that are being used. Mysterious, mystifying, convoluting, plain scary, mythical, arcane, arcane cultural, and then power of violence, all these things. Meaning, the state does not have the only source of violence of all the different sorts. So does this thing that we call religion, but why? Yeah. In Towson's opinion, the institutional interpretation of reason by violence not only diminishes the claims of reason, casting it into ideology, mask, and effective power, but it is also precisely the coming together of reason and violence in the state that creates, in a secular and modern world, the bigness of the S. Not merely its apparent unity and the fictions of will and mind thus inspired, but the autocratic, uh, erratic. or the erratic and quasi-sacred quality of that very inspiration. Now that stands as a ground. stands. That now stands as ground to our being as citizens of the world. Okay. So, what is this thing? Okay, precisely the coming together of reason and violence in the state that creates in a second modern world the bigness of the state. So the state, <clears throat> in theory, is the biggest authority of the world. Okay yet it cannot control religion. It, has been, it can control bodies, it can control most ideas, but it, for whatever reason, cannot control religion. If you suppress it in this place, religion will squeeze out and appear in that part of life. That's the, one of the strange things about this thing that we call religion. Mm -hmm. And so secular tries to keep it under control, but can the secular keep it under control? Especially if we don't even really know what it is. Once its rational legal mask is removed, so it is suggested, the modern state will reveal itself to be far from secular. For such critics, the essential point at the issue is whether our belief in the secular character of the state or society is justified or not. 
that category of the secular itself remains unexamined. Okay, so what are we saying here? Look at the choice of words. Rational legal mask. Once its rational legal mask is removed, the modern state will reveal itself to be far from secular. So we're saying that the rational legal quality of the state is nothing but a costume. Okay? Mm. As opposed to being its essence through and through. And a way to think about that, think about what you, what you imagine with the Republicans in power. Where it looks like they have their agenda and they're going to do whatever it takes to get their agenda to, to, to manifest. By hook or by crook. Right? Which is how the Republicans will often see the Democrats. But the point is that uh, it illustrates further that this is a rational legal mask rather than an essence. Okay? The idea of the secular is that you're making the state into a rational enterprise from start to finish. But it may be argued that, no, it's no different than every other type of state. It just has a little bit of this rational legal aspect to it, and most of it is just window dressing. Just posturing? Posturing, yeah. Let's do a couple more paragraphs, then we'll stop. Anthropologists who identify the sacred character of the modern state often resort to a rationalistic notion of myth to sharpen their attack. They take myth to be sacred discourse and agree with 19th century anthropologists who theorize myths as expressions of beliefs about the supernatural world, about sacred times, beings, and places, beliefs that were therefore opposed to reason. In general, the word myth has been used as a synonym for the irrational or the non-rational, for attachment to tradition in a modern world, for political fantasy and dangerous ideology. Myth in this way of thinking stands in contrast to the secular, even for those who invoke it positively. Okay, so the opposite of secular is not necessarily religion. The opposite of secular is myth. Okay? And think about it from the way we, we think of Islam. And we've talked about this before. When we talk about Islam, much of what we're talking about is not the stuff in front of us on the ground. Much of what we're talking about is in our imaginations. That's myth. Mm. Right? Myth doesn't mean that it's false. Myth just means that it's in the realm of our imagination. It's not real world. And I would suggest that the vast majority of Muslim discourse uh, in the United States about Islam is just talking about myth. Could you give examples of like things we talk about that you would put under um, like myth or imagination? Okay, so contrast how does a Muslim behave in your mind versus how 100% of the Muslims in your life behave. Okay. Another way to think about this is uh, how a Muslim behaves in your mind should behave. Count how many people in your life fulfill that. Mm-hmm. And my guess is it's probably 1%. Which then means which one's Islam? Is Islam the thing that's in your imagination, which applies to almost nobody? Or is Islam the thing that's right in front of you? Okay. Uh, or maybe it's both, or maybe it's neither. That would be an example of something like that. And, and so that's myth. So, so in a way, what we're doing is we're, we're making the, those very difficult points that nobody wants to face. Like, what really is actually Islam? Yeah. Uh, anything more than a figment of our imaginations. Meaning, the Quran is real. The Prophet, peace be upon him, is real. But ultimately, only real in our imaginations. Historically, we can prove that the Quran appeared on the scene at this time, that there was this man, Muhammad, peace be upon him, who appeared at this time. Um, uh, but for by and large, um, that's an easy myth to shatter for most people. 
right? Because most, we've talked about this in many different contexts, for most, for too many Muslims in the United States, their faith is based on little, small aspects of that, that, you know, the Quran talks about the embryo, right? The Quran is unaltered, yeah. things like that, right? Um, and that's just further illustrating it's nothing more than myth. Yeah. So what would be the converse of that? As far as I like, so the, about the embryo So <laughs> suppose those pass those two points were debunked. Mm-hmm. What would that do to the faith of a lot of people? Okay. Mm. Right? Or suppose someone comes along in the Bible says, Hey, look, we have all these passages, you know, that are just as abstract as your passages about the embryo. And they talk about things that nobody could have uh, figured out until the 21st century, right? So that takes away the uniqueness of the Quran, mm. right? I, no, I guess I'm asking as far as converse, the con- converse of that is I'm asking, so what would be the ideal of that? Like, where Okay, so, so here we're talking about someone for whom they're living as though they have to really face Allah on the Day of Judgment, okay? Mm-hmm. And that is affecting uh, how they conduct their lives to the point that there's something working at it. You know, like the question I ask at every single Jummah Khutbah. Can you say honestly that you are better in XYZ categories today than you were a year ago? Right? Mm-hmm. If the answer is no, then you don't really believe in the Day of Judgment as much as you, you think you do. It's just a myth mm-hmm. to you. That you won't admit that it's just a myth to yourself. Right? Because if you truly believe that I might die, you know, um, you know, today, a week from now, five years from now, or 30 years from now, and the day of judgment is inevitable, okay, and at least I want to pass, or better yet, I want to get to the top level, and then I'll be working towards that, right? Uh, otherwise, if I'm casual, even though in my mind I take it as an urgency, my actions will reveal whether it's an urgency or whether I'm casual about it. Mm. So think of all the places where I fall short. Whatever it is, prayer, fasting, generosity, integrity, courtesy, all those things. If I'm still more or less the same person as I was a year ago, then I will be the same person five, ten years from now. Okay. And even then, I'll still live in this, this mythology that, yeah, yeah, I take this all seriously, but my actions reveal that I, that I don't. And this is why, you know, so many of the children of such people come to my office who see, their fathers probably see themselves as these really pious people, but the children see them as horrible tyrants. Because the fathers are living in their imagination about themselves. Right. And that's the real fundamental question. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Meaning, because religion, if religion is about transformation, then how much transformation am I doing? Yeah. Okay. Not succeeding in, but trying. Trying, yeah. Yeah. Okay, continue. I will refer often to myth and what follows, but I'm not interested in theorizing about it. There are several books available to do that. What I want to do here is to trace practical consequences of its uses in 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries in order to investigate some of the ways the secular was constituted. For the word myth that moderns have inherited from antiquity feeds into a number of familiar oppositions. Belief and knowledge, reason and imagination, history and fiction, symbol and allegory, natural and supernatural, sacred and profane, binaries that pervade modern secular discourse, especially in its polemical mode. As I am concerned with the shifting web of concepts making up the secular, I discuss several of these binaries. Okay, so let's, let's explore these. Well, I mean, it looks like he's not. Let's explore some of these binaries uh, right now. So belief and knowledge, uh, how would they be binaries? What do you think? What's the difference? What's the similarity? There's a 
that's the science religion sort of thing, right? That people what does that mean? Where we've become sort of empiricists in... Like, give, give, me, give me simple language. Give me simple language. Uh, like, you know, evidence versus... Uh, damn, I don't feel like that. Uh, belief is like... Uh, I, wanted, I was going to define belief with belief. Yeah, <laughs> yeah belief, it's like... Uh, it's just buying into something where knowledge is knowing it. Yeah, essentially. Right? Belief is I take it as true. Yeah. Knowledge is I have knowledge of it. Okay? Uh, reason, imagination. Use small words uh, to explain the, the binary of these two. Imagination is very sort of frivolous, where reason seems to be worked out. Yeah, essentially. Imaginary, yeah. Imagination. Reason, in theory, will have you know a step-by-step process to it. Yeah. Imagination will have no process. History and fiction, that one's easy, right? Yeah. Yeah. That which is factual versus that which is invented okay, of the past. Um, uh, symbol and allegory. How about that? Aren't they symbol and That's their binary, so how are they binaries? <laughs> A symbol is like a... What's an allegory? Like a, like a metaphor type thing? or like More than that. So an allegory would be a story a lesson. with a lesson. Yeah. Oh. And a symbol would be like crescent moon. Right? Oh, or it would be or a sort cross. of more like, you could say, a symbol would be some sort of empty in its... In its yeah, you know? you're, you're, you're getting too deep. Okay, yeah. okay. Symbol is basically like this thing, uh-huh. and allegory is a narrative. Uh, a symbol oh. is a thing with meaning, and yeah. an allegory is a story with meaning. Okay. Okay. Natural, supernatural. What we know versus what we can't explain. Uh, sort of. Keep going. Damn, this is hard. Yeah. Uh, supernatural seems more like myth or like. Uh, seems like it. Yeah. Like so natural would be like this world that is in front of us. Yeah. Supernatural is things that that we're saying is beyond the realm of perception that is also part of the world in front of us. Yeah. Okay. Sacred and profane. What what people put above themselves versus what people. Okay, you're still making all this too complicated. Make it simpler. Good and but the So sacred is that which is precious, and profane is that which is offensive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you guys are you guys are trying to use too much uh, highfalutin uh, explanation. Over, I haven't talked. <laughs> okay, continue. All right, we'll do this next paragraph. We'll stop the right terms here. secularism and secularists were introduced into English by free thinkers in the middle of the 19th century in order to avoid the charge of be- there being atheists and infidels, <laughs> terms that carry <laughs> suggestions of immorality in a largely Christian society. Okay, so that's where the idea is coming from. So we don't get accused of, of blasphemy. We've invented this. Mm-hmm. Okay, continue. Uh... These epithets mattered not because the free thinkers were concerned about their personal safety, but because they sought to direct an emerging mass politics of social reform in a rapidly industrializing society. Long-standing habits of indifference, disbelief, or hostility among individuals towards Christian rituals and authorities were now becoming entangled with projects of total social reconstruction by means of legislation. A critical rearticulation was being negotiated between state law and personal morality. Okay, so what has taken place? With the rise and restructuring of these states, the question comes down to what's the relationship between the law of the state and your personal morality? It used to be that you get your morality just built into society, okay? Especially from family, especially from your belief system, okay? But then how does that play out with the state where the state is above personal morality, okay? That the state becomes coercive um, above everything else, 
So what is the relationship then between the two? Okay, continue. This shift presupposed the new idea of society as a total population of individuals enjoying not only subjective rights and immunities and endowed with moral agency, but also possessing the capacity to elect their political representatives. A shift that occurred all at once in revolutionary France, excluding women and domestics, and gradually in 19th century England. The extension of universal suffrage was in turn linked, as Foucault has pointed out, to new methods of government based on new styles of classification and calculation, and new forms of subjecthood. These principles of government are secular in the sense that they deal solely with the worldly disposition, an arrangement that is quite different from the medieval concept, medieval conception of a social body of Christian souls, each of whom is endowed with equal dignity, members at once of the city of God and of divinely created human society. Okay, so people used to have the approach that you were both. You were part of this, this community of God and this human society that was divinely created. Okay? And so as you understand the rise of secular is removing that second part, right? That, or this whole thing about you know, divinely created, it's basically, okay, it's all this worldly. You know, how do we run a society that's this worldly? So if you were to erase Christianity in this context, how would you make a society, right? And so one of the big questions becomes, does secularism apply to Islam? We don't look at the world that way, right? Right, I was going to say, because, like, that just reminded me of the whole divine right of the kings. Yes, this is exactly what we're talking about, yeah. Yeah, Explain, explain what is divine right of the kings. Basically, like, they have the... God has chosen them to yes. sort of rule and like handpicked all of them, so they have the right to like rule and mm-hmm. you, and so you're you should be their subjects because mm-hmm. God gave preference to them. Yeah, I mean, in in our contemporary modern context, that seems so bizarre, but that was the default of so much of Europe, right? And how does how does Islam contrast with that? Well, I mean, uh, well, how would you guys answer that? Well, I would say like Islam doesn't see. I don't, from what I know, Islam doesn't see human society as, like, divinely constructed. Okay. In the sense that, like, we have the onus and responsibility to make society, and, like, we have responsibilities to society, but it's not literally God putting people in position and creating the society. Like, God didn't create the order of society mm-hmm. as such, and then we just have to stay in our lane. Okay. Right? Like... And so what just happened? You just gave me mythology. Right? I'm, I'm going in. I don't Does know it make sense? <laughs> So, for example, during the Umayyads, there were, there were Khalifas who literally regarded themselves as the shadow of God in the earth. Right? It literally, you find that in, in our history. Yeah. I mean, what are fundamental differences? Fundamental oh, differences yeah. is the lack of a clergy. Someone right? used that term. I think the Mughals did that, too. I wouldn't be surprised. Someone, no yeah, someone, I just read that like a few days ago. They said that mm-hmm. one of the Mughal kings described himself mm-hmm. as the shadow of God. So, so, so the point being that... Um, um, so Muslims did do that. So we did uh, what seems to be a variation at different points in our history. Yeah. Yeah. And that then becomes a way to claim legitimate authority. That, all right, that God has put you there, therefore I have to obey you. Okay? Whereas in the modern sense, no, God's not even part of the conversation. Okay? I'm the one who's putting you into power now. Okay? That's democracy. It's no longer God putting you into power, it's me. Okay? So that automatically is one huge change. But uh, it's a newer phenomenon, uh, like we've always had scholars in our history that we might call them a skeleton, maybe, okay? And by skeleton, think of what the skeleton does for the human body, kind of like holds it together, maybe, 
Um, but the Iranian example is something new, where you have the scholars who are the, the authority of the state. That's new. Right. And so, when you said Islam doesn't do it that way, or... Like as, soon, as soon as we say Islam says or Islam does, you're in the realm of mythology. You're in the realm of imagination. Oh, I thought you meant that seriously. I was just like, yeah. Oh, I, okay, okay. I went, I, I, yeah, because I was like, but oh, like historically, nothing. you were saying like we didn't have Muslims didn't have a clergy in the same way they did. Yeah. In Christianity, to in clergy in the sense that you had these people supposedly of religion who were the authorities, mm. right? In villages, you had that. Yeah. But as a state polity, it doesn't seem like you had that very often. Yeah. Okay, I thought meaning. Okay. Like, you would have cases where, like, you would have a khalifa, but a particular religious scholar would have so much influence that it's almost as though they're more powerful than the khalifa. But it's not because they're just a scholar. It's because of other social factors, right? Whereas what we're saying in the matter, in the case of a clergy, the clergy, by virtue of the fact that they're clergy, they have authority, okay? And, and so when they give the endorsement to power, that a whole lot of people go along with. Okay? Mm. Think even in terms of Islam in Chicago. Okay? I mean, there's one masjid where you can say they have an imam who seems to have such authority that if the imam says support this person, a lot of people will. If the imam says don't, a lot of people won't. Okay? Yeah. And, yeah, you can whisper. Bridgeview, right? No, I wasn't trying to whisper. <laughs> whisper. <laughs> right? Uh, by and large, there's almost no other place in, in the Chicago Muslim community that has anything like that. Right, Imam W. D. Muhammad sort of had that authority, right? Perhaps even more than uh, Sheikh Jamal did, but otherwise, you know, look at who are like the most influential people in Chicago. It's uh, um, most people have far, far less influence than that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, that list. <laughs> The extension of, oh wait, no. Uh, these principles of government are secular in the sense that they deal solely with a worldly disposition, an arrangement that is quite different from the medieval conception of, social, of a social body of Christian souls, of, oh, each of whom is endowed with equal dignity, members at once of the city of God and of divinely created human society. The discursive move in the 19th century from thinking of a fixed human nature to regarding humans in terms of constitute, constituted normality facilitated the secular idea of moral progress defined and directed by autonomous human agency. In short, secularism as a political and governmental doctrine that has its origin in 19th century liberal society seems easier to grasp than the secular, and yet the two are interdependent. Okay, so liberal society here doesn't mean a bunch of liberals uh, in the way we commonly think it. Liberal society means open in terms of ideas. That's what we mean by liberal society. When we talk about liberalism, we're talking about open in terms of ideas, everybody has access, everybody has equal authority, right? And so secularism as a political and government doctrine originates there. That's easier to understand than what exactly is the secular, okay? Which is usually the realm of the worldly. Okay, let's stop right here at the bottom, page 24, and then we'll continue, inshallah, next time. Any last questions or thoughts? So it's a big thing for you guys to take is how much of Islam is not real world, but is purely imaginary. Mm -hmm. And how much we as a community have sustained that for so much of our life of American Islam. Yeah. It's in the realm of imagination. Meaning someone from the outside looking in, beyond seeing a masjid, okay, what is it that's any different about these people? And beyond particular rituals, what is it any different about these people, right? Um, 
and the difference seems to be less and less with each, you know, decade. Yeah. But in their imagination, in our imagination, we see ourselves as so different. Right. It's just purely imagination. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's something we're raised with, like a first, yeah. like something that's almost trained to, yeah. you know, like I, like just having you say these things is like it's like, it's causing issues for me, like yeah. you know, because I'm like, well, wait, you know, and I'm like you have to sort of fight against what yeah. you're, what you've been I mean, raised with. Yeah. I do feel like. I've always got, like, I feel like religious Muslims are, have always been similar, or they always had, like, seem to be the same as sort of religious Christians. That's the question. Right? Like, because, like, I'd always, you know, Muslims, like, whatever, like, the right would have in terms of, especially socially, like, Muslims would be like, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, this is better for society. I'm like, well, mm -hmm. that doesn't seem to be, like, particularly Muslim. That just seems to be, like, a Christian value mm -hmm. or a conservative value. But they've sort of wholeheartedly embraced that. Mm -hmm. And, like, just being in different spaces, I get what you mean. Like, the, that sort of religious experience isn't sort of as unique mm -hmm. as we think it is, mm -hmm. like, to us. Yeah. And so this is something to explore, right? And it could be that the religious experience is not unique because we have already allowed ourselves to be constrained into the same box that every other religion uh, is put in in our society, right? Like, house of worship some sort of religious leader, you know, particular rituals for birth, marriage, divorce, uh, birth, marriage, uh, death. Yeah. And maybe culturally some foods that are associated with our holidays. Right. Um, but that's, if you, so like, uh, you might've heard my analogy that think of every religion as a bird and they're all very different birds, but right now they're put in the exact same cage forced to have, you know, have their wings just tied to them. But if you let them free, then they become very, very different. That would be what it is in theory. In practice, is it any different? Right. These are the hard questions nobody wants to really honestly address among the people who have a little bit more faith. Okay, but I'm saying most people don't even have the faith to even hear that question. Yeah. Yeah. And it plays out in their children. I also think it's like, it's like, like people just want to gravitate toward what's sort of easy in certain, some, some sure. respects as sure. far as with like regards to those questions and thinking about those things, mm -hmm. because it goes back. I think it, it reminded me of what I talked to you about that guy that you know when I said the the uh, psychology professor where like you know like Muslim people were like oh these these Muslim guys I know they were yeah. like yeah we should re you know his thought is great I'm like but well, why do you have to jump to this guy like why don't you know why why aren't we like trying to do something like on our own type of thing where okay. it's like it, I'm, my whole thing is like why isn't something why aren't you looking at trying to address these things from, like, your... Okay. So you know. now what I will say to you is uh, ask yourself a year from now, if you find yourself having the same critique, then you're in the same level of imagination. What, what do you what mean? You? Okay, so you're saying, uh, so you're making this valid point. Why are we jumping into this almost as a way to legitimize ourselves? Yeah. To find validation. Yeah. Right, that's exactly what you're saying. And then, which is a very, very strong, very fair point, Okay. Now, if you find yourself a year from now mm -hmm. saying the same thing, you know, why are we in our community going this direction or that direction to find validation? But if you haven't done anything, then you're also living in imagination just as much as they are. That's your test for a year from now. Okay. 
No, 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 I'm just trying to... No, man, I'm not trying to... Well, like, it was funny looking at your reaction, like, how do I respond to this? No, I'm saying, like, I. my question was, yeah, so how would I do something like that? Because I'm not even saying it... You know, I realized this as you were saying this, I'm exactly the same way as those guys, where, mm-hmm. like, something will come along where I'm like, hey, these guys are thinking about mm-hmm. this, you know, very similar. Mm-hmm. Like, like, this is interesting. And mm-hmm. I, I have no problem with someone gaining inspiration from something like that, I think, right? But at some level, you also want... Like you said, like is what it, makes us different. But is it necessarily bad to live in your imagination? Um, uh, it is, if it sustains you, then that's <laughs> fine. I mean, if it sustains you, that's fine, but it will probably not sustain your grandchildren. Meaning, if your mm-hmm. Islam is in your imagination, yeah. then the question is, what are your children receiving? Do you think... Hold on. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so how would I do something like that, like, a year from now, like... So it comes, I mean, so it comes down to uh, another way to frame it is how serious of that a point is that to me? So I am seeing these peers of mine who are running in a particular direction to find validation. Mm-hmm. And then I keep pointing that out. So either I'm sitting at my coffee table, yeah. right, just saying, hey, look at what these people do, like an armchair quarterback, mm-hmm. right? And I really actually just don't care. I'm looking for a way just to criticize like some guy, you know, in a coffee shop. Yeah, a chip on my shoulder. Or, I mean, it could be a chip on my shoulder. Or uh, I'm thinking, okay, this is a thing we need to improve, you know, upon. So how do I do it? I don't have an answer for that. That's what, you know, that's the thing. No, 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 but the point is we all have to figure out these answers for all No, I know we do. And I I find myself, even myself and with my friends as well, right? I think we we tend to do that a lot, to be completely honest with ourselves. I mean, to be be frank, I think uh, you guys have been doing it as long as I've known you guys. Yeah, like, I mean, that's what we do. But for, you know, and, like, it's just, I don't know, me personally, when stuff like that comes up, I always think, and perhaps this is a deeper point as to how, my relationship with God is, where I always think, yeah, but, you know, like, I won't be able to do anything, I'm not capable, like, I, I'm not qualified, or I don't have, like, you know what I'm saying, like, you, then, like, when, like you said, when someone, either internally or someone externally puts that, well, what are you doing about it, like, then it's just all of a sudden this, like, massive insecurity as far as, like, yeah, who are you, like, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, like, what can you do, like, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I mean, sometimes that's the best someone can offer as an idea, Right. Sometimes that's all that they can offer, yeah. which hopefully will bring the conversation forward. Yeah. Um, but uh, I get skeptical that that's all our entire community can offer. Okay. Yeah, I don't. Like, I I know. Like, I want to be able to like you know yeah. give. Like, I've always you know I've, that's one thing I think I've thought about very like recently more and more and more. I think especially like after meeting you and then just I think also sort of semi YM background and just other. The, the other people I've seen where they seem to be giving something back, right? And I think we've, mm-hmm. we especially once we left YM, we kind of felt this as well, mm-hmm. some level. And I'm, I think that's one thing we appreciated at a very se- real level about YM, where mm-hmm. on some level... Speak for yourself. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me and Seth. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway. Yeah, me, me and Seth. Hello. Yeah. That we felt that at, even if it was... Even if the impact wasn't anything crazy, we felt like we were giving something as mm-hmm. opposed to just you know, yeah. being armchair quarterbacks or whatever. And, like, you know, I, I, there's been times where I've, like, when I've met you or I've just been, like, I've, I've always wanted to ask. I'm like, hey, how do I become like you? And yeah, no, no, you, you got to become you know like you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean in the sense of, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. like how do I, like, you know, position myself to be in a, in a 
in a space and have like the tools and knowledge or you know techniques or whatever to be yeah. able to help people in that way. Yeah, that we you can talk about saying? off off recording, but yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it yeah. just yeah, it just feels very like. Oh, what do I do? Dude, I was gonna say like you know the uh, the way like just conversations I've had with my friends about like you know the way they want to raise their kids or like having. Uh, I guess, like, you know, sending your kids to Islamic schools, sending, yeah. uh, like, not participating in things. I think this goes back earlier when we were talking about America sort of winning, right? Yeah. Like, is that sort of, uh, is that part of, like, the imagination of, like, well, if my kids don't participate in these things, like, somehow Islam will be preserved? Or like... Meaning, it can be. So the key thing is, when does the imagination, when does something move from imagination to action? Yeah. Okay. So if I'm not letting my kid do something, now it's become action. Yeah. And then it's hope. Yeah. Right? And maybe the hope will fail. Right? So I'd say that's a little bit more than just imagination. Imagination would be all those things that are going on in your mind that do not translate into action. Yeah. At least that's translating into action, whether we agree with the point or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And a simple test is, I'm saying this, you know, uh, exploring myself you know, I'm, mashallah, a decade and a half, two decades older than you guys in looking at how much I have not done in, you know, the past however many years. You know, things that are just in my imagination. Especially this hits me when I find old writings of myself, you know, for myself. Or even, like, old Facebook posts, you know, when it does the memory thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, wow, I thought of that back then? Yeah, that was oh pretty man, smart. Yeah, yeah, I have that, too. Yeah. I'm like, I wrote and all I this did, good stuff. And I... Haven't progressed. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll stop right here and then we'll continue next time, inshallah.